Welcome to The Pastor's Cut, a podcast of Park Community Church in Chicago. Every time a pastor prepares a sermon, there's all kinds of material that influences, shapes, and informs, but ultimately gets cut from the final preach. The Pastor's Cut is a chance to go behind the scenes and access that content that informs our teaching every week at Park. This week, I'm joined by Dan Osborne, pastor of Park Forest Glen, as we discuss what got cut from his sermon on Acts chapters 13 and 14. So let's get started. I'm your host, Trevor Lovell, and this is The Pastor's Cut with Dan Osborne. All right, Dan, good to have you on the show. Thanks for having me again, Trev. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like this little change in venue here. Uh, yeah, it is kind of nice. It feels like uh-huh. like a... Like we're we're back at it again. Like the, I know the dynamic duo. <laughs> Some twinkle lights. This is actually the space in which we first joined in ministry together. Second floor cafe near North Building. Saturday oh nights. That's right. Yep. That's right. Right over here. Actually, it's a little overshadowed because this is where our wedding reception was. Like back there, Courtney and I sat right there. So that's what you think about. I don't think of you. Um, <laughs> I do think of my wife. Yeah. But but I mean that's. It's fun to be back here again. Yeah, yeah. Either way. <laughs> okay, so opening question. Um, we got summer baptisms coming up. Yeah. Something mm-hmm. we're pretty excited about. Looking at July 18th, got these um, baptisms taking place uh, along with a joint service yeah. at Montrose Beach. Super excited. Mm-hmm. So for anyone listening who might be uh, wanting to pursue baptism, um, just want to say that that's going to be a great opportunity. And Taking a, a, a membership class at your church would be the first step towards that. But also, just a little intro into baptism. Dan, I'd love it if you could just share with us, what is your baptism story? It's, it's all over the place. So um, when I was in, I don't know, I was probably two years old, maybe, uh, my parents were taking me to a family friend for some daycare. Uh, this uh, person's grandmother was watching both of us, and... Uh, so she, uh, the grandma, she didn't really speak, speak a lot of English. Mm-hmm. Um, so one day my parents came to pick me up and uh, they found out through just like some conversation that I had like gone to a church. I'd been taken to a church that morning. Uh, and later on in the week, uh, they're finally able to get to the bottom of the story. And uh, the, uh, the person who was watching me and my little friend, uh, we went they took us to an Orthodox church and got us baptized, um, which, you know, my parents weren't like super upset about that. It was just yeah. kind of a weird thing for them. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, baptized in an Orthodox church as a, as a baby. Um, and for me, I mean, that, that had nothing to do with my life at all. You know, yeah. I didn't really know what was going on. It wasn't connected yeah. to anything, any kind of like larger family story. It just was yeah. a thing that happened. By a babysitter. Yeah. 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 And your family didn't know anything. Right. About right. It. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So uh, when I was uh, became a Christian in mm-hmm. junior high, uh, right right around junior high, yeah. uh, going into senior high, uh, I was baptized at this United Methodist Church. But at that point, what they were doing is like I didn't go underwater or anything. They like sprinkled some water in my head because mm-hmm. United Methodists usually do infant baptism. Okay. Um, and when I came to Moody and started to get more involved in Park, you know, that's the first time I really heard a lot more about like immer- full immersion baptism going under the water. Uh, and it was yeah. right before I was about to preach my first sermon at park. I remember talking to Kenson Lamb, the pastor, and I was like, hey, just an FYI, I don't think you would think I've ever actually been baptized. So 
should I do that before I preach a sermon here? <laughs> and we, we had a great conversation about it. And I, I ultimately decided that um, the baptism I had when I was converted at the United Methodist Church, yeah. that counts. I don't think there was any like checklist. I didn't make, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't, wasn't a full baptism. But yeah. uh, just after learning more about what baptism is supposed to symbolize, mm-hmm. I, I, I believe that for me to be, you know, just as a personal conviction, I wanted to have the full immersion baptism. So that I was yeah. baptized uh, at Park, at the summer baptisms at the lake, yeah. um, Lake Michigan. And so that's one of the reasons why this upcoming baptism at the lake, I love these. They're so much fun. And just yeah. you know, part of my own story. So. Yeah, that's cool. I think I've heard Joe Riccardi talk about, I want to say he was baptized the same way, one of these. He was uh, baptized at the lake. And there's a video of him somewhere that you can find, like right after his conversion. Yeah. When he's, you know, from like 20 years ago. Yeah. Of him explaining his testimony. And oh, um, man. it looks like Joe, but with like blonde tips. <laughs> Instead of a, I would love to see that. Silver Fox. We should pull that out as a promotional for this year somehow, yeah. some yeah. way. Man, great stuff. Yeah, so um, anyone looking to, if you haven't been baptized, is something you want to learn more about, um, what, what it would look like to pursue that first step, signing up for a baptism class at your local church. So super excited, looking forward to July this year. Yep, yep. July 18th. July 18th. Montrose Beach. Yes. All right. Um, yeah, so Dan, you preached this past week at Forest Glen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, from Acts chapter 13, verse 13 to yeah. 14, 7. Yeah. Could you give us a, just a quick recap of your sermon? Yeah, so here, here's the big idea that, that I was talking about. Um, a big God theology or big God story mm-hmm. creates a flood of joy in deserts of despair. Mm. That's kind of the phrase that I was uh, yeah. building to throughout throughout the message uh and and honestly i think this is probably one of the most vulnerable messages that i've i think i've ever done mm-hmm. uh just in teasing out a lot of the implications of the passage because it's it's a, it's a strange message to preach this comes up a couple times in acts where essentially you are preaching a sermon on a sermon that somebody else has, has mm-hmm. preached. And so yeah. it's just, it's like this added layer that you get in and, and uh, have to interpret and kind of draw out meaning because at yeah. one level, like, you know, Paul has a specific audience that mm-hmm. he was originally getting his word to and dealing with a specific context. Luke takes that message mm-hmm. uh, and fits that into his larger work in the book of Acts. Yeah. And so you kind of have to wrestle with this, passage on, on multiple levels mm-hmm. uh, to get at what, what's going on. And one of the questions that I've asked all throughout Acts, mm-hmm. uh, every time I uh, preach is, you know, why do we have this story recorded? Yeah. And there are several sermons in Acts, mm-hmm. right? And so my question was like, what, what is this one? Mm-hmm. What is unique about this sermon? Yeah. Why does Luke record this sermon? You had such an interesting way to um, like, just almost like, like, tricks, I guess, that you can yeah. use sometimes yeah. when, when it comes to preaching. I thought you had a really, really cool way of bringing out the kind of the nuances of this particular sermon and yeah. what was unique about it. Yeah. You, you share that? Yeah, yeah, I will. So, uh, you know, you look at the, the passage. This is Acts 13. Uh, Luke, or at Paul starts his sermon in verse 16. He's invited in the synagogue to, to give a sermon, stands up and starts preaching. Uh, and as I was looking at this message, this, this passage and comparing it particularly to Stephen's, sermon in Acts chapter 7. One of the things that popped is that in the first section, 
almost every verb, God is a subject of, of every verb. And it is really all good things that are happening, yeah. except for when the people ask for Saul to be raised up as a king. Um, but yeah. God is the subject of every good thing that happens in this in this entire sermon. Mm-hmm. And so what I wanted to do is not look at the particulars of the larger story that, that Paul was weaving through in, in this sermon, but kind of get a bird's eye view and see what does it mean for uh, you know, Paul to have a big God theology, like his, his understanding of the story of Israel and God's engagement with them revolves around a big God who is present, engaged, compassionate, and leading his people at yeah. key moments in their story. Yeah. Uh, and so that, that's where I, I started, you know, started to develop the uh, language of like, this, this is a big God story. This is a big God sermon. Yeah. And by big God, I obviously meant, uh, you know, started talking a little bit about the doctrine of providence Yeah, and seeing, uh, you know, God's providence is really his uh, creation, creating and sustaining uh, and guiding his creation to its his intended purposes. So yeah. how does God engage with his creation, sustaining it and moving it down his mm-hmm. uh the path that he has set out for it. And yeah. that, that is a big God theology, this big God story. Yeah. Um, so that's where I, I got that language. And towards the end of the message, you know, something really interesting happens uh, where, you know, Paul and Barnabas, you know, Paul preaches this, this sermon, amazing sermon. Yeah. And almost the entire town responds. They, they all want to come back and hear from him. Yeah. And on paper, I mean, this looks like a massive ministry success. Mm-hmm. This is, I mean, it's a beautiful thing that happens. I mean, this is this is what Paul and Barnabas would have wanted to happen everywhere that they go. Yeah. You know, they get a hearing with, with a large group of people and they're all like, yes, we want more. <laughs> we want to know more about this. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, verse 44 says the entire, oh, nearly the entire city came back the next Sabbath to hear mm-hmm. from Paul and Barnabas. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, at some level, this happened, this has to happen, you know, as they're about to get up to mm-hmm. preach, right? The uh, leaders of the city, mm-hmm. uh, they, they banish Paul and uh, Barnabas from being, uh, being in that district at all. Yeah. And so they go from this high of being like, yeah, this is exactly what we wanted that to happen. And yeah. then they're persecuted. Uh, yeah. And I think we're invited to read into that one word quite a bit. Uh, probably physical beatings, yeah. uh, you know, shaming, humiliation, and kicked out of the city to figure out, you know, yeah. what mm-hmm. what to do next. And I think that creates this gap of uh, what, you know, I, I called it a, a desert kind of experience, yeah. where it, like this is not how uh, what you thought was going to happen. This is not how it was supposed to play out. Yeah. Um, and there's you know, in that desert kind of experience, I spent a lot of time talking about this in the beginning and the end of the message, but in that desert type of experience, there's a lot of isolation, frustration, and fear as you try and wrestle through, what do I do next? Yeah. I think there's a lot of reasons people can enter into the desert, uh, you know, the quote unquote desert um, Mm -hmm. for, you know, for, you know, health things, mental health things, you know, uh, your job situation, family situation, uh, a whole bunch of things that can can bring you into the desert, yeah. uh, and yet at the same time, the response that Paul and Barnabas have in that place is uh, to be filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. So, asking how, how does that happen? How did they experience that joy? Yeah. Um, and the piece I just I landed on is, I think it's because Paul believes the sermon that he just preached yeah. about a big God story. 
Uh, and so it's, you know, when we have a big God story, big God mm-hmm. theology, that, that meets us in those desert moments yeah. uh, with, with a joy. Not, not all the time, not at every moment in the desert, but yeah. at key moments meets us with a flood of joy yeah. in a desert. Yeah, that sustains us, helps us to persevere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's good. That's good how, like, sometimes uh, doctrine can have this um, reputation as being like dry and not, not always the most helpful thing. Um, And yet when you, when you take an idea like Providence and can kind of break it down and show how uh, this helps us in the, like there are certain situations that we're, that we are going to go through in life. Yeah. No um, matter what. Yeah. Yeah. And how this is actually something to cling to and that it it helps guide us. Um, And as you're saying, like floods of joy uh, sustains us, helps us to persevere how the, the doctrine actually is very significant. Yeah. I mean, it forces you to, to cling to, you know, mm-hmm. big promises in scripture. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the, the vision of God in the scriptures is one who is the creator and sustainer of all things, uh, yeah. who upholds the universe by the word of his power. Yeah. Right. Hebrews one, mm-hmm. three. Um, and yet it's tied directly to his love and concern for his people. So yeah. you know, when Jesus talks about are not two sparrows sold in the market for a penny and yet not one of them falls without, you know, the heavenly father knowing. Uh, and then, then he says, fear not for you are of more value than many sparrows. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so not even, you know, this, what we, many people would consider this insignificant part of creation, not even one of those falls to the ground without God knowing, yeah. right. Guiding, directing that even that moment to happen. Yeah. And the the effect of God Jesus saying, "Fear not, because you are of immensely more value than than, than this." This yeah. is how God sees you. Yeah. And so, when you're in that desert moment or season, um, having a big God story reminds you that you're not abandoned there and you're not forgotten there. Mm-hmm. May not explain why you're there or how long you will be there, but that you're not alone in there in in that desert. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good stuff. And we were, I mean, we were kind of talking beforehand about, you know, what's going to be in the different sections of this. And so moving into what got cut from your sermon, um, I know that you had talked about different aspects of uh, like playing out what could be the particulars of different desert experiences. And some of that happened to do with mental health. Um, Yeah. Could you just, could you speak a little bit more to that? Yeah, I I think I want to be careful in talking about some of this stuff because I don't want to, you know, un- unintentionally minimize anybody's experience. Um, and that, yeah, I said from the beginning of this podcast that this was a very vulnerable sermon for me um, because, you know, I, I shared with with Forrest Glenn that, you know, I think for the last probably three months, I've, I feel like I've been in, in this desert, you know, where, mm-hmm. um it's just been a lot of, it's been a really hard season. Um, and I, I don't, I don't hear a lot of, I don't often hear a lot of uh, ministry leaders talk about that mm-hmm. other than when they're reflecting back on that season. Yeah. But not in the midst of not, it. It's not in the different. midst of it. And, yeah. and that's, that's where I'm at right now where I, you know, I don't have a ton of answers. I don't have, uh, you know, I, I not entirely sure what brought me into this place or, you know, how long I'll be here. Um, but for me, it was, was really helpful just to begin to voice that a little yeah. bit more. Um, and so 
towards the end of the message, uh, I just started listing some practical things that uh, I found helpful. And you know, remember, I distinctly remember writing the phrase, Paul believes the sermon he just preached. Mm-hmm. And like, that's what I was going back to myself for, like while I'm working on this message and even preaching this message. It's like, I, I, I actually have to believe the things that I'm talking about yeah. here. Like I, mm-hmm. Paul needs a big God story. I needed the, I need a big God story yeah. um, in this, in this season right now. And so just kind of working through some of the practical things that I've, I've found helpful in, in the desert area, you know, one of them just being honesty and really starting to share with someone else where, where you're at. I think it's uh, for me, so helpful. I mean, I think there's, there's a lot of shame that, that I have felt in not wanting to, you know, not living up to some kind of, you know, standard pastor, mm-hmm. you know, there's, you know, there's this idea that I'm, I'm not supposed to struggle with these things or, you know, if, if I'm going to be faithful to what God has called me to do, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to go through these kinds of seasons. And I can tell people that that's a lie till I'm blue in the face. Yeah. Uh, and yet when I'm in that season myself, like that's the first thing I go to. Yeah. Uh, and so I think honesty is in the desert is yeah. just it, an incredibly valuable gift, especially in the body of Christ. Yeah. Because you meet people who, uh, who have either been there or know that it's coming who are mm-hmm. for you and with you in that season. Yeah. Um, but you don't even get to talk about it unless you start talking about it. Yeah. Because um, as you're saying, it can be a very isolating experience. It feels so isolating. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't want to, you know, put a, a, a label on myself that maybe isn't warranted um, or mm-hmm. and I, I, again, I'm still processing through a lot of this stuff. Um, but you know, where I'm at, I, I have not wanted to talk with people, right? Like to, to be in conversation is, it's actually really hard and really exhausting. And that's not normal yeah. for me. Mm-hmm. Like I enjoy, I enjoy spending time, uh, with, you know, smaller groups of people and, and talking and yeah. being in, in fellowship with them. But, but it has been exhausting to the point, like, I, I don't want to do that. That's that's my first response, yeah. even though I know that I need to. And I think there's been this, you know, just building up a wall in front of other relationships uh, that is starting to be dismantled as I'm talking more openly about where I'm at. Yeah. Um, the other the other piece that I, I wish I would have had more time to to dig into. Um, I'll say this: like for me, just recognizing I I need to go see counseling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm taking active steps to do that now. That that's been helpful, and and that there is not that is not an unChristian thing to do. Yeah, yeah. To see a counselor, and again, mm-hmm. it's one of those things that I can like. I have said that so many times to people, mm-hmm. but but there's also this like I, I experience this hesitancy to even want to vocalize that or uh, take any step to doing that, yeah. um, and you know, I think that reveals a lot more about my own heart. Um, but yeah, taking a step to go to see counseling, um, I think yeah. is just, is so helpful. Yeah. Um, and then finally the, the looking for evidences of God's grace. Okay. Um, this is a piece that I, I wish I would have been able to spend more time on. Um, and so, you know, to, to kind of set this up in talking about evidences of God's grace, uh, 
I you know started the message talking about my experience driving through the Mojave Desert, uh-huh. um, and you know and just how isolating it can be to be in a physical desert. That's that's what it feels like to be in, in a spiritual or emotional desert. It's mm-hmm. it's this fear and isolation that, that you go through. Yeah. Um, and I ended the message talking about this, but when you drive through, not I don't think it's every desert, but this is what Mojave Desert had. Yeah. Uh, they had these uh, like dried up riverbeds, uh-huh. and when you know, Courtney and I were driving over these these riverbeds. We, we actually didn't know what they were at first because yeah. it, it's odd. You, like, drive over a bridge, and there's nothing there. It's just bone-dry desert. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the closer you look at it, and we, we started to do some just, like, Googling, like, hey, what, what are these things? It's called a wash. Okay. And uh, it, because in that in, in the, the desert, when it rains, like, it rains a lot. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And the ground isn't able to absorb any of that water. So mm-hmm. over the, you know, course of hundreds, you know, thousands of years uh, in this area, they, it, it has developed, like, these certain patterns where the rain will come. It will, like, channel itself into these washes, these riverbeds. Yeah. And it's the, – the, the amazing thing about it is that it is so consistent that it will happen. Mm-hmm. Like you, you absolutely need the bridge there. Otherwise, you can't drive. Mm-hmm. Like it totally wrecks everything in its path, right? Because yeah, there's yeah. so much water that comes, <laughs> and so consistently. More than that, like you look at the vegetation around the washes. It's yeah. not just a, it's not just like a ravine in the desert. Like you can see, there's different kind of vegetation there. Yeah. The landscape looks different around the washes mm-hmm. uh, because it's so it's so reliable that the rain will come. It will meet and show up there yeah. that everything around that environment changes. Mm-hmm. And so the conclusion that I, that I came to is that, you know, as a Christian, it's not that you won't go through the desert. Uh, it's not that you won't wander, but when you do wander, it's like you're wandering through this wash, mm-hmm. right? And, and everything around you actually is telling a story that a flood will come. Yeah. Like it, you, yeah. you can bank on it. Even if you don't feel it in that moment, there are evidence, evidences all around you that, that the, the water will meet you there. Yeah, that's good. That, and that's what the Christian life is like. Not that you have, um, you know, you're perfectly spared from ever going through these seasons, but there, there is a confidence and a reliability that God will meet you in, mm-hmm. in those seasons. And so how do you look for evidences of God's grace, right? Like the wash has the vegetation, the landscape, yeah. everything. Where do you see God's grace through this season, and how do you how do you look to some of those things yeah. uh, and some of the gifts? And you know, I, I would uh, say that one of the big things that we have to to cling to is the scriptures in, mm-hmm. in these seasons, right? There's there's something about um, going back as a daily discipline, just clinging on to a verse or, or mm-hmm. something, uh, and you begin to see some of the, the evidence of God's grace just in the scriptures mm-hmm. uh, and it, it, it is invaluable uh, in the desert. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think there's a lot more that you could talk about. You probably have some more things you'd encourage people to look through. No, look for, but it's just the, the pieces that you're saying, they, they remind me of Psalm 42 um, in that, uh, you know, the way it opens as a deer pants for flowing streams. So pants my soul for you. Oh mm-hmm. God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Psalm 42 verses one and two there. Um, and kind of just describing this experience of having a, like such a desire for, for God yeah. in the midst of his absence, sort of describing that desert experience. Like, yeah. where, where are you? This is yeah. difficult. When is this going to be over? I, like, I can't stand this. Um, and so that desert experience. And yet when you come to the end of it, verse 11, 
the experience doesn't change, but there's a hope within yeah. within it that right, it, right. it closes with um, verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my mm -hmm. salvation and my God. Yeah. Almost like going through this, the psalmist is going through looking for those evidences of grace, finding mm -hmm. them and coming to a place of hope, even though circumstances are still the same, yeah. Yeah. Um, just exactly as you're describing it, which, yeah, it's, it's good stuff. Um, I think sometimes we don't always talk about how that is, it can be easy to have like a, a formulaic approach that if you're, you know, if you're in community, if you're attending church, if you're reading your Bible and praying, yeah. then you will flourish always. Right. And right. you won't ever experience yeah. this, which um, I think Psalm, like Psalm 42, it's helpful to have a passage like this that shows that this is, this is consistent with our experience. Yeah. And we do have seasons yeah. in the desert um, and yet they're not never ending. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they don't have to be crushing it. So mm -hmm. I, I think that coming back to having a big God story, that yeah. in those moments, mm -hmm. he's not forgotten you, he's not abandoned you. Um, I think it it produces that flood of joy. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I can say that having experienced that, not not all the time. Like I'm yeah. I'm not a joyful person yeah. <laughs> like all the time, especially not right now. Um, but... But there, there is a reliability that God yeah. will meet you in those places. Yeah. That in itself, I think, is, for me, has been very comforting. Yeah. While remaining in in this place. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's good. You know, I've been reading this book lately. This is maybe somewhat of a tangent, and I'm still, still like, processing it. So I've just finished the book, um, and it's called The Other Half of Church, or The Other Half of the Church, and it has a lot to do with joy. Hmm. Um, and just, it has you do this gratitude exercise at a certain point. And I know I've heard it before that like the on-ramp to joy is gratitude. If you want joy, start with gratitude. Yeah. It's with thankfulness. And, but with me, that always looked like just writing out a list of things. I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for this. And, and it kind of went into detail a little bit more on what, what gratitude, uh, just a little more practical and what it yeah. looks like to practice it. And it talked about kind of like creating this list of memories that to look back on that are um, a time where you felt the a feeling of joy mm -hmm. and at the same time, a connection to God. Like an Ebenezer. Yeah. Like an Ebenezer. Yeah. yeah. And so then to, to create like a list of those memories and almost to on a regular basis to go back and almost like savor the memory. Yeah. Like re remember kind of what God was trying to impress upon you in that moment. Yeah to to kind of soak in like what what did you feel like yeah. bodily like what was the experience of joy mm -hmm. in that and to go back to that as a way to cultivate joy in a way that is that's directly in connection yeah. with god yeah and that's that's been it it's not it's like by no means a silver bullet mm -hmm. but it has been an interesting um thing to kind of just consider and, yeah. and, and give a kind of experiment with yeah um yeah and solid yeah all right, man. Uh, this has been great. So enjoyed the conversation. Thank um, you for having me. Yeah. We've got a closing question here at the end. Yeah. So um, it's how should I engage with social media as a follower of Jesus? That's our, our closing question. How should I engage with social media as a follower of Jesus? And I'm looking forward to hearing your response because I feel like you, you've got like a, an interesting approach to I actually have one of your most recent posts here. Okay. Um, so this is, this is from the Facebook of, of Dan Osborne. This is the post. It says, 
Cutting your own watermelon is like using a French press with Folgers. At the end of the day, it's just not worth the work. Change my mind. <laughs> no one has been able to change my mind. <laughs> yeah. Got uh, a lot of traction. A lot of people, a lot of ridicule. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, I, I think, how do you engage with social media? Yeah, I, I bring that up because... Well, for one, I, I just thought it was funny. <laughs> that was the main reason. But also, I feel like sometimes with these questions, we, we come at it with like an answer that can be so serious. Yeah. yeah. And that's like, you know, you want to be, it just, I, I think part of how we engage well is yeah. by having fun, which yeah. I, I feel like you do a good job with. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, with that, what's your answer? How should I engage with social media? as a follower of Jesus? Uh, unless it is absolutely essential to your job uh, and livelihood, get it off your phone. That's good. I, I, yeah. It may be, there may be other circumstances where it's helpful, but for me, I just, especially coming out of like the election season, the COVID stuff, I just, I found myself getting so anxious about everyone's mm -hmm. you know postings and you know all, all this stuff. and not like there has not been a single moment in the last year where mm -hmm. i've thought thank goodness for social media yeah yeah it, it, it may be a little too forceful but uh -huh. yeah it, it, the other piece is i have so much like it's so easy to just open up facebook or i don't have twitter so I may not even be the best person to, to ask this question because I have yeah. like had three tweets in my entire life. <laughs> I have an Instagram post that I did yeah. probably seven years ago. Uh -huh. um, so I don't use a ton of social media, but I'm yeah. pretty heavy on Facebook. And I just, I know how easy it is to scroll and just get sucked into this vortex. Mm -hmm. Right. And then there's the John Piper quote that like your, your Facebook and YouTube accounts will tell you at, in the last day, uh, you know, exactly how much time you did not have for the word and for prayer. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Oh man. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it just, yeah. it, when it's always available right here, I just, yeah. I think it can just mm -hmm. so quickly. Yeah. I know I've had the experience, uh, like when you got the apps in your phone and I've gone back and forth because, um, it's like do you, having it, not having it on the phone. And, um, I find that when I do have the apps on there, there's times where I go to my phone for a specific, almost like when you walk into a room yeah. or something and uh, you had a reason for going into the room before you got yep, there. Yep. And then once you're there, something distracts you yeah. and you forget about it entirely. Like I've, I've gone onto my phone for something like to call someone, to send someone a text. Yep. And all of a sudden I'm on Facebook trying to remember what did I actually come onto my phone for? And then it's 15 minutes later. Yeah. Yeah. And you saw like a cool video of a puppy, Yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, yeah. I, I don't know, man. I, I've, I've had it off my phone, Facebook off my phone for a couple months now and I'll still use it. Like I'll check it on my computer. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I think there is, there's good ways to uh, engage with it, but, but because it's, it is so easy for me to get caught into a vortex. I think for so many people, like what yeah. you just described happens all the time. I don't experience that same thing when I'm on my computer. Yeah. In the same way. Mm -hmm. Like I, I don't go to my computer for every other thing in the same way that I go to my phone for like, you know, mm -hmm. phone calls, text messages, email, like everything comes here and it's almost always with me. 
Yeah. Right. My computer's not the same way. So I feel like there's, I have better boundary systems intrinsically in place with, with my computer. So I, I engage there and I think it's okay. And, yeah. and, you know, perfectly fine. Um, better channel for navigating it. Um, I will say with Instagram, it's Instagram's a little bit different because you can't do as much on the computer through it. It's like a social media channel, I guess, designed for the phone pretty much. Um, but there's a way that you can remove likes where uh, you can't see how many people are liking your thing or who is, and you also can't see who else is liking the other. Hmm. So you go on and you can scroll and check things out, um, but the likes are removed. And I think in some ways that can, I think that can make it a healthier space to be in. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Know how to chase those likes. Yeah. I mean, in this last season, I think both of us know what it's like to, to look and chase after views. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So there's something intoxicating about that. And, and I don't think that's, I mean, I get it. Yeah. I don't think it's good to, I don't think that's super healthy, yeah. but it's so normal now that I don't, I don't know how much we even think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I know um, a good resource I, that I've read through was um, Andy Crouch's The TechWise Family. I felt like that was a really helpful one um, in thinking through how to have a good relationship mm-hmm. with technology and uh, especially when it comes to like your household or your family. Yeah. Um, and so he's got like a, just has like a list of 10 things in there that were sort of like fundamentals, like 10 commandments for social media and technology yeah. Yeah. In, your, in your home. And I thought that was really helpful. So if you're, um, anyone listening, if you're looking for something that's a, maybe a little bit more, um, I guess, robust in giving an yeah. understanding of how to approach it and some, some real like particular details, I'd say that's a good resource. I wrote a blog post about a year. This is not Andrew Crouch level at all, but I wrote a blog post um, maybe six or seven months ago uh, after I was preaching a sermon called like, am I a divisive person? Yeah. Um, but it just had like five things to think through before you post something on social media, particularly like, are, are you responding to someone else's nonsense? Mm. Um, and yeah. how, how do you engage with that stuff uh, when you feel like you have to? Yeah. So that was helpful for me to just, you know, write out and think through and, you know, I think a few other people found it helpful. So yeah, good stuff. We'll put it, I'll put a link to it Sweet. in the description. Sounds good. Yep. All right, man. It's been so great. Thank you so much for joining. Yeah, thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for joining us this week. We hope you enjoyed the episode. And again, if you have any questions you'd like us to discuss in an upcoming episode, you can send those to us at podcast at parkcommunitychurch.org or just drop a comment wherever you happen to be listening. Thanks so much. We'll be back next week with a new episode.